Well, as you can see from the video, um, the theme this morning is humility and arrogance. Really, the title of this uh, message this morning is From Arrogance to Wisdom. And uh, my name is Glenn, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Rock Church. And um, I want to, first of all, thank the worship team for leading us in worship. I realized that when I um, uh, put the title or the theme for this morning to be arrogance, it's a little bit difficult to create a worship set uh, on arrogance. But in reality, really, Hannah and I were talking before the service, and in reality, so Hannah and I were talking uh, before the service, and one of the things that um, we talked about is really every worship song is about uh, arrogance and humility, because every worship song, when we worship God, we're really taking time to elevate Him about, above ourselves and put Him in the rightful place and us in our rightful place. He is the king. He is the king of glory. Um, the song also that we sang towards the end there, and we cry holy. He is the one who is holy. We are not, and we need his help to move towards holiness and sanctification. So um, that is how the worship fits with this, with this theme. So before we look into God's word this morning, let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the songs that we can sing um, that, that declare who you are and, and just what an amazing God we have. And Lord, we just pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we may also continue with humility. May we continue to look and see where your Holy Spirit is going to um, correct us or show us how to um, stay on the path or show us just that path of life that brings freedom, as we sang about, and also brings joy. And Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us now as we look at your word. In your name, amen. Amen. So um, last week, uh, Amy uh, preached a really great sermon on pursuing goodness, um, pursuing righteousness. And one of the things, so this, in some ways, this sermon is now a specific example of pursuing goodness in, in one particular area. And one of the things I really appreciated about her sermon is that she had a number of very active verbs there in her, in her points. And she just talked about how we, we needed to aggressively avoid evil, how we needed to seek out and, and stay on the path of, of um, life and goodness, and how we had to have that acceptance of Jesus being, being our Lord. And so um, one of the things that uh, we saw here in this, in this um, video that we just looked at is that uh, even though we may have a, we love to have the list of, of sins, we like the big list of sins, right? The list of sins which are like uh, stealing, murder, adultery. And sometimes for us, we come into church a little bit like the rich young ruler. If you know, there was a, a, a time in the, in the New Testament there where Jesus met this rich young man. He was a rich young ruler, and Jesus met him, and Jesus said to him, you know, um, how, how have you done with keeping the Ten Commandments? And he goes, oh, all these commandments I have kept since I was a boy. And so sometimes we like to put the big list of sins, because the big sins, that makes us feel good. Um, but in reality, when you look at the list of sins in the Bible, oftentimes gossip is right next to murder. Um, gluttony or fits of rage are right, right next to adultery and, and stealing. And so, and when we look at the verses on pride in Proverbs, and we have been looking at Proverbs this, this um, summer, we see that also God says, God doesn't just say, I get a little bit annoyed when people are proud. He says, I hate pride. I hate arrogance. And so 
this is something that we need to work on in ourselves. And, and, and for myself, I need to work on in myself. I know that when I went to Dallas and I asked him if I could preach on this as a theme for the time when I would be preaching a sermon from Proverbs this summer, um, I explained it to him. And then in the uh, spreadsheet that we have that we share, that all the staff share and, and those that are working on the worship team and stuff share, he put in there that Glenn would be preaching on humility. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not right. Otherwise, people will think that I went to Dallas and I was like, you know, I really feel like I'd like to preach on humility because I have so much to give in that area. And uh, so I didn't want that to happen. So I switched it back. I switched it. To, I crossed out humility and I deleted it and put in arrogance. And then I noticed about two weeks later, back looking at the spreadsheet, there again was Glenn preaching on humility. So, I, <laughs> so I'm not sure who was kept on putting that in. But um, anyways, it is, I will be preaching on arrogance this morning, not, uh, not humility. And so I thought that, but I still thought a good title would be From Arrogance to Wisdom. And uh, as I think of maybe, you know, someday writing my autobiography, I think maybe, you know, From Arrogance to Wisdom, The Glenn Reimer Story. Maybe that would make a good title. I'll think about it. Anyways, um, my uh, brother is here this morning from out of town with, uh, with my sister-in-law and my nephew and my mom and my father-in-law as well are here. And, and so one of the things is you may wonder, why does Glenn have such respect for his elders? Well, it was those beatings on the front lawn that I used to get from my brother when we'd have our annual wrestling match. Um, that taught me respect for my elders. So... One of the things, the first verse we're going to look at, the first point actually is uh, from self-deceit to self-awareness. And this is one way that we move from arrogance to wisdom. And the verse I'd like to read here as we look at self-deceit is Proverbs fourteen twelve, And it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And you may have noticed that Amy used this verse in her sermon if you read the church email this week, you may have noticed that Brandon used this verse in his uh, blog. And so you may wonder, do the people at this church know any other verses in the Bible? Well, we're going to get to some other ones, but I'm going to start with this one because it is a really good foundation for this is the foundation and explains a lot about arrogance. And I think part of it is, as we look at that word and it says, there is a way that appears to be right. And I think for myself, when I have opinion, I go, it's not appears. My opinion is I've thought about this. I've looked at all the different options, and this is clearly the best option. And so I don't think in the terms of appears. I think in terms of I know this is the best, this is the best way. And yet the Bible cautions us here and says you need to be cautious because things can appear to be right but actually end in death. And I think that um, when we look at in the end, it says it leads to death. And as well, last week we talk, talked about how we've just like, just a little bit, one or two degrees off is enough to make us way down at the end. We can be 100 kilometers off where we needed to be. And the Bible here is saying that this ends in death. And death can be thought of in a lot of different ways in the Bible. But one way is just when, when, Jesus, when God said to Adam and Eve at the beginning, he says, if you do not obey my words, if you do not listen to me, if you eat the fruit of this tree, which I told you not to eat, you will die. And so death has been the thing that we have wrestled with as a human race. 
whether that's, that's the, the death inside ourselves as we are going through this life or whether that is eternal death. And, and Jesus said the message of the Bible, basically the whole message is just that we can only avoid that death by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we get to enjoy eternal life. And the one thing we see from this verse as well is that self-deceit is essentially the root of arrogance. And it doesn't take a very, there is a way that appears to be right. I was heading out of Tim Hortons this, uh, this week. And I was going across the place where they, you know, where the, I don't know if you know the Tim Hortons here on Avenue F, but there's two lanes, like most Tim Hortons, for the drive through And then there's a tiny little bump in the middle. Sort of like a speed bump, but only about maybe two inches high. And um, I, was, I was going along, and then suddenly, bam, I was like just wiped right out. I was flat on the pavement. And I have not done that for a very long time. And I had like a good bit of road rash, which I was trying to sympathize with Eldon uh, before the service. He's a, one of the bikers in our congregation here. And the only difference is, is he wipes out and gets road rash at 110 kilometers. And I must have been doing at least three kilometers uh, when I wiped out. But it was still painful. And it was still to do with just a little two-inch high bump. And so that's why it's important for us to always look at our path, not deceive ourselves about what the path that we're on. Um, next, we look at self-awareness. So from self-deceit to self-awareness. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And um, I really like this, this part about give thought to their ways. And I know that in the, in the past when we were in Mongolia and sometimes I just like I'm spinning, spinning around and as I have le- don't take any time for self-reflection, I begin to sort of uh, hit the accelerator f- more and more and actually crank the steering wheel. So eventually I'm just sort of spinning doing donuts in the parking lot. And my uh, Ruth, my wife, sees that and she knows that at this time I need to go away and I need to get some self-reflection. So I remember even going out to Terelj Park, which was a national park just north of the city that we lived in. I set up a little tent, and I was just in a tent for 48 hours, just reflecting on the Word, um, reading, meditating. And it was really, really helpful to get my perspective again. And if we are so busy that we're just spinning around, and busyness is part of our culture, busyness is part of what it means to be Canadian, American, North American culture is wrapped up in that. It's one of our key values. We will not have time to give thought to our ways. And um, even at the at church, we have a, once a month, there's a bit of a time where we have a bit of a, uh, some time in the morning just for reflection and reflecting on, on, on um, maybe places where we're going off the path or where God needs to redirect us a little bit and recalibrate our, our calibration in terms of where we should be heading. Um, as well, it says the follies of fools is deception. So, it's the one thing is, I think when we think about the sin of lying, we lie to other people, I lie to other people, but I think maybe the people that I lie to most is maybe myself. And I think that's probably true of most of us, is that most of us uh, lie to ourselves a lot, and it's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing much better than we are, or that, that sin isn't really a problem, it's just a little mistake or a little weakness that I have. Um... Looking at point two, a second, a second way to, to move from arrogance to wisdom in Proverbs is from overconfidence to realistic appraisal. 
And in many ways, self-deceit to self-awareness is about the path that we're on. Um, this particular, these two verses talk about basically understanding our limits. So one is the direction we're headed, but the other one is having a good appraisal of what are my limits? I have a finite mind. I don't know everything. Um, and so if we look at uh, Proverbs 26, 12, um, this is a verse about overconfidence. And it says there, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. And that was a verse that always really struck me hard. That hit me hard because, you know, when I was really young, um, my mom had suggested, why don't you start reading Proverbs? And Proverbs are great, especially as you're going into your teenage years where there's going to be all kinds of different, you know, reasons to go off the path. Um, Proverbs are great for sort of really pointing a flashlight on how foolish some of those ways are. And so I just felt like I had been reading Proverbs, you know, almost every day, and I knew what folly was, and I would avoid it. And yet I thought I was wise, and yet this verse kind of struck me right between the eyes and just said, hey, do you see someone wise in their own eyes? As bad as Proverbs talks about what a fool is, this is even worse. I am even worse if I'm thinking I'm wise in my own eyes. And um, just that idea, more hope for a fool, that was, that was really uh, quite, really did hit me hard. Um, so next, we look at realistic appraisal. So in Proverbs 30, verse 4, it says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? And the whole, if we look at the whole passage, we would see that this is someone saying, Hey, you know what? I don't know everything. I'm not so wise. He's, he's basically, he's saying, God, you are the one whose hands um, have gathered up the wind. You are the one who has gone up to heaven and come down. Um, we are not. We are not the ones. And, and when you look at Job, in the book of Job, if any of you have read the book of Job, you know that at the very end, God answers Job's questions about why am I going through this pain in a very interesting way. God starts talking about all the animals that he has made. And he says to Job, hey, do you know how this works? Do you know how that works? Hey, do you know what about these stars, these constellations way out there? Do you know how they got there? And Job has to say, hey, I don't know. And I repent in dust and ashes because you're right. I spoke of things I did not understand. And we ourselves, another sort of um, thing that helps us, keeps us from becoming arrogant or, or helps reduce our arrogance or my arrogance is to know, hey, you know what? I have a finite mind and God has an infinite mind. And one of the things is that um, we have always been finite, Humans have. And God has always been infinite. God has always had complete knowledge. And, you know, I love science. I, I enjoy science. That was one of my favorite subjects as a, as a kid to read about. And I still read about it. I, just this last week, I was listening to a podcast about dark matter. And, and I, I find science really, really fascinating. Um, but I think the one thing that we, we need to realize is that science is an enterprise that grows and develops as it proves earlier science wrong. That's how science moves forward. And science moves from incomplete knowledge to slightly more complete. But it's always, science is always working with a set of incomplete knowledge that keeps expanding little by little. So I think that as believers, one thing that we need to do is we always have to make sure that when we are comparing um, God's words and God who has complete knowledge to science, which is an enterprise that is incomplete by its nature, but growing. Um, we always have to have that humility when we, um, 
when we're comparing science to God's words. And I think that another, another point as well where we need humility also is that sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, oh, well, we should interpret this verse this way. And yet Christians for the last 2,000 years have interpreted that verse this way. So when suddenly in the 21st century or late 20th century, we are changing the interpretation of a verse, we need to be humble and we need to say, hey, you know what? Christians for 2,000 years have, have interpreted that this way. So let's be humble when we look and suddenly think, oh, we need to, they were all wrong and we're right. Um, let's, let's make sure we have humility when we do that. Point number three is from chattering to truly listening. And this is another verse that I don't like in Proverbs. Um, it's Proverbs 18.2. And it says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And I just I read that verse and I go, but, but that's what I'm really good at. I'm good at airing my own opinions. That's what I excel at. I suck at understanding other people. But I'm good at airing my own opinions. And... Um, there's a guy named Stephen Covey who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and one of them was, seek first to understand, then to be understood. But that's just not the way I'm made. I, I, I'm made naturally to, I, I want to tell you what I think, and I want to tell you what my opinion is. And, you know, I, we have st weekly staff meetings at the church, and I, I sort of, in my mind, I, I just, I see a, everyone as they, they state, we talk about these really difficult issues, and then people state their opinions, give things in, and I sort of hold back and wait to the end, and then I sort of clear my throat. <clears throat> and as I do, the room falls silent. Everyone leans forward in their chair to hear what wisdom is going to drop from Glenn's mouth this time. Well, that's my dream. That's not how it works, but that is my dream of how a staff meeting would be if it could be the way I dream it is. And the fact is that I delight in airing my own opinions. I love nothing more than to tell you what my opinion is on almost any subject that you could ask me about. But the one thing that this says, this, this verse brings me down to, grounds me again and realize, hey, you are like this fool. I am like this fool. I just delight in airing my own opinions. And God wants me to flip that around so that I am more interested in understanding what other people are saying. I'm more tuned to learn from other people than I am to try to share my great, great knowledge and great uh, understanding. And even in uh, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, there was a, um, a page about just how to be a good, how to do well when you are in a small group and listening to other people. And, and one of them is, uh, do you always feel the need to have to tell a funnier story than someone else or need to top someone's story. And I'm like, okay, I guess so. That's me. Um, because oftentimes I do. I often think, oh, but I know an even funnier story or I know an even better story. And I don't take time to just listen and let someone else's words soak in or enjoy what someone else is talking about. Um, then next we go from chattering to truly listening. And the uh, Proverbs 2.2 says, uh, so point three is from chattering to truly listening. And then uh, if we look at uh, truly listening, Proverbs 2.2, 2, it says, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And turning your ear to wisdom is active. As I said from the sermon last week, it was active, actively setting the course, aggressively avoiding evil, acknowledges that Jesus is the way. The same here. We don't we just fall into humility. 
That's not our nature. We, we naturally are somewhat arrogant. We naturally are somewhat prideful. That's the way we are bent. We need help. We need intentionality. And we need the Holy Spirit's help. And we need also to work with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a partnership. It's not a ride, right? We don't, you know, go on this ride that just magically takes us into, into um, being perfect people. God wants to work with us in that. He changes our heart, but we also have to make daily decisions to continue to follow in his way. Um, the other thing it talks about in Proverbs as well is, is truly listening to the right sources, the, the, we have so many things to listen to right now with the, the internet is just full. We just have, we have smartphones we carry around that, that are constantly notifications, beep, beep, and we get an email and they say, hey, can I send you notifications? We go on a website and, hey, can I send you notifications? So it's like everyone wants to send us notifications. So we have to make sure we're listening to the right sources. And in Proverbs, it says, number one is God's wisdom. Number two, God's word. Um, or I guess those two would be together. Um, and then it also talks about parents. Why does Proverbs talk about listening to your parents? And as, as teenagers especially, it's hard to listen to our parents because it's like, they don't understand what my life is like. They don't understand what I have to deal with. And even as we get older, our parents are a source of wisdom because they, they care about us and they have a longer view than we do. And so as we have parents that um, that know the Lord, that gives them a, a fount of wisdom. But even if you have parents that don't know the Lord, often their life experience will give them wisdom that is worth listening to. And it talks about how our, our spouses are founts of wisdom. And, and um, someone in, in Proverbs 31, it just talks about the fact that your, your spouse, your wife, is often someone that can, like my wife, can, can see me better than anyone else. And they can see my blind spots. They can see the areas that I can't see. And also talks about advisors as well. And just make sure you are getting good advice. Don't just go into a big enterprise, make a huge change without uh, consulting other people who may have other views that they might be able to see that you can't see. Um, and then the other thing it says here is applying your heart to understanding. And even though in North America, we may think that we gather knowledge, we got, like on the internet, we have more and more knowledge, there's more and more stuff there, science is expanding, 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 we have more data, more knowledge. In the Bible, unapplied knowledge is actually less than worthless. Unapplied knowledge is not just worthless, it's actually negative. And that's why God is so hard on the Pharisees. Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees because they had tons of knowledge, but they never applied it in the right, right direction. And so this talks about when Jesus says uh, um, the foolish man built his house on the sand because he didn't apply what he heard. Uh, James, the book of James, talk about someone who looks in the mirror, sees a big bunch of uh, sour cream on his cheek, and just walks away and never bothers to wipe it off. Um, so that's one thing I think that we also need to realize, that our culture, we excel at knowledge, podcasts, books, uh, seminars, but the place that is harder for us is applying. And life groups, we'll be starting life groups in, a, in, a, in September, and they are a place where we talk about, hey, how do we apply what we've been hearing? How do we apply what we've been seeing in the Word of God? Point number four is from quarreling to discussing. And um, this, is, this is also... Another one that strikes me really hard, and, and generally speaking, when I choose a sermon topic, I choose it quite selfishly because I often will choose a sermon topic that I know this is something I really need to work on, and I really need God to speak to me on it. And so 
This is another place where, where he who loves a quarrel, it says in Proverbs 17, 19, it says, whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. Whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. And I can tell you that I, I love a quarrel. I love arguing. And I've mentioned that before, I know. And I, you know, in, in university, that was how, you know, my university roommate and I would spend an evening that was a great deal of joy for us to just sit and argue and argue and argue about totally meaningless things. But um, this hasn't been as fun for my wife when I got married. This, this wasn't fun. And I, my sons, I don't think, found it fun either. So... You know, so just that aspect of thinking, oh, you know, I love to argue. I'm not good at sports, but I can really, this is an area I can really excel in. And that proved to be a pretty bad life choice. So I think that when we look at quarreling and the way that the Bible talks about it, I think it's about quarreling is about winning. It's about smashing down someone else with clever words, smashing down their opinion, taking joy in seeing how you can chop the legs out from under them, into, you know, in an argument sense. Um, so I think that now when we look at discussion, where we see in Proverbs 27, 17, um, so when we move from quarreling to discussing, they are slightly, they are different in a very important and profound way. Um, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And when I hear that phrase, iron sharpens iron, what I think about is I think about mutual benefit. Quarreling, arguing, doesn't have mutual benefit. It's about a winner and a loser. It's about someone coming up on top and the other one getting cut down to the bottom. But discussion is about iron sharpens iron. How do we help each other to see maybe what I couldn't see? What do I learn from you that I didn't, wasn't able to see? Um, and it's also about mutual respect. It's not about disrespecting other people. It's helping each other with our finite minds begin to see maybe a piece of the puzzle that I wasn't able to see before. Um, and it's not that I am into relativism. It's not that I think that, oh, let's just put all our truth in a pot and in some big Canadian stew we'll stir up a bunch of different truths and we'll come out with something even better. I, I don't I don't believe that. I believe there is truth. There is absolute truth. Um, God knows absolute truth. He has infinite mind, so he knows absolute truth. We do not. His word helps us go along that path. Uh, his wisdom helps us go along that path. But um, we, still need to, we still need to acknowledge that, hey, I am finite, and I can still learn from this person. Even if maybe I largely disagree with them, I'm sure there is something here that I can learn from. And there's got to be... I mean, I ask, my, ask myself the question is, am I so arrogant that I think that this person sitting in front of me has absolutely nothing that I don't already know? I would be pretty arrogant, but I tend to sometimes naturally kind of go that way, even though I don't um, realize that, yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. Uh, point five, from ranting to grateful acceptance. Um, so, uh, here we see, again, another way that we can move from arrogance to wisdom. And uh, Proverbs 29.9 says, If a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs and there is no peace. And I just think of raging and scoffing. And for me, those words, they, they, they talk about how um, just this aspect of there's no real pursuit of truth. This, this person isn't interested in truth. They're just trying to bluster and, and argue and, and uh, you know, just trying to take their megaphone and, and blurt out what their opinion is. 
Um, and it just says there is no peace. And I think of someone there's like, for instance, on the internet, someone who is called a troll is someone who actually excels at this. This is what they enjoy doing. They, they go on different forums and stuff where there's dialogues happening, and they love to just throw in something in there that's going to be outrageous enough to just cause a big, huge reaction. And um, they, they, there is no peace. And I guess I ask myself, I'm not a troll on the internet. I don't go on forums, uh, basically. But... Um, when I'm in person, is there some sort of favorite topic? Do I have a hundred different rants in my head that I'm ready to deliver? You come up to me and say the trigger word and suddenly that, you know, rant number 87 will just blast out of my mouth because that's what I'm ready to deliver. Um, I, you know, I think all of us need to think, are we ranting? Are we scoffing? Are we raging? Or are we talking, you know, in a respectful way to people? Are we interested in learning? And um, I think the next thing, when I say from ranting to grateful acceptance, looking at Proverbs 9, 8, it says, Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. And this is really telling. It's essentially putting us into two camps. How do I react when someone rebukes me? How do you react when someone rebukes you? And basically, by our reaction, it's gonna, the Bible says it's going to put us into one of two camps. Either we're going to be put in with the mockers and the fools, or we will put in with the wise. And I think I want to be in this camp, but my natural inclination is to respond in a way that I put myself in this camp. Because when someone rebukes me, I almost always, the first thing I think is, okay, yeah, but how was that not my fault? Because that's what my mind immediately goes to, is trying to figure out, okay, yeah, that happened, but... I don't, that wasn't my fault because this, 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 this. And I try to see maybe I can pin it on someone else or maybe it was some random, you know, act of the universe. But um, that is my natural response. And, and, and I think that puts me in the mockers camp. And if I want to be in the wise camp of the wise, I need to be open to rebukes. I need to be thinking, you know, I don't like getting this rebuke. But what is it that I can learn from? Where is their truth? Maybe, maybe a rebuke isn't full, completely 100% true. But there's always going to be probably some truth in it. And um, so uh, that's something that we need to see. And also, too, I think that we show a grateful acceptance. We so show uh, if we treat a rebuke as a gift, then we are going to want to learn from it. And uh, now I've mentioned this before, but Dallas just recently, Dallas had us spend two staff meetings that I was at. Um, part of those staff meetings, we were, he asked us to um, tell him about his blind spots. And that is, that is being someone, that is being someone, that's not very comfortable. It didn't look comfortable to me seeing, you know, eight people gathered around the table and hear eight staff all telling Dallas what his blind spots were. That didn't look fun to me. It didn't look like something I'd want to do. But Dallas did that because he takes, he was taking our, our, you could say, our rebuke or showing him the blind spot as a gift. And he was taking grateful acceptance of it. And so that's how... That is a good example. That is a good example for me to be willing to say, hey, this rebuke is something I need to learn from, and there should be something in it that I can learn from. Even if I don't agree with it 100%, still there is some aspect of truth that I need to learn from there. So, um, just as we close, I guess just a few questions for us to think about. How do we come across? 
do we as, and I'm thinking maybe we as evangelicals, uh, as the evangelical church to the people outside uh, that maybe aren't, aren't uh, in our same camp, do they view evangelicals as arrogant? Do they see us the way we talk, the way we, uh, the way we um, uh, treat other people? Do they see that as coming across as arrogance? Um, can we be gentle and can we be respectful and still be solid in our faith in God and in his word? I'm not saying that we have to compromise our belief in truth or compromise our belief in God, but can we hold on to this and still be gentle and respectful? Can we accept that other people have lots to teach us? Other people throughout history, other people in other cultures. Can I accept that someone much younger than me has a lot to teach me? That my parents, my wife, my kids have lots to teach me. That the Holy Spirit has an awful lot to teach me. Can I accept that the Word of God has so much still left to teach me, to correct me, to help change me, put me more on that path of goodness and righteousness? Or have I sort of gotten to the place where, you know what, I think I'm sort of good enough. I do fine. And where I'm no longer teachable, where God just can't show me anything new, can't show me anything that I still need, that I need to correct. Or have I become so smart that other people, the Word, even God himself, really has nothing left to teach me? Let's just think about those. Let's think about those questions as we go through this week. And uh, let's just close in prayer. Dear Father, we just thank you for um, just the way that you love us. You think the world of us. You think we're amazing. You created us and you delight in us. And yet you also want us to acknowledge who you are and acknowledge the rightful position between you as king of the universe, between you as the one with the infinite mind, um, and us as finite. And Lord, I just pray that as we go into our week, in our relationship way with you, may we be humble. May we not be arrogant. Um, in our relationships, our interactions with other people, may we be humble. May we not be arrogant, but may we come across as gentle and respectful. And we just pray this in your powerful name. Amen. And I'll ask the worship team to come up.